Memphis Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. More U.S. airstrikes. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka. On this Monday, November 13, glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Fighter jets have again hit targets in Syria for attacks on American troops. Also, hear the role of the U.S. in talks to find hostages held by Hamas. On the campaign trail, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott has suspended his run for president, joining Mike Pence and others on the sideline. From Capitol Hill, House Speaker Mike Johnson has released a short-term spending proposal designed to avoid a government shutdown this weekend. And why baby boomers have an easier time financially right now than millennials. Boomers, for instance, might not have to worry about like mounting retirement costs or saving for retirement. They're already in retirement. They might already all out own their homes, so they're not worried about mortgages and interest rates and those homes are getting more and more valuable so their net worths their assets are worth more their investments are worth more juliana kaplan at insider on the uphill economic struggle for millennials national security advisor jake sullivan says the u.s is actively engaged in negotiations between israel Qatar and Hamas to secure the release of hostages believed to be held by Gaza, or rather in Gaza, by Hamas. Nine Americans are still missing. Yes, there are ongoing negotiations involving the Israelis, the Qataris, and we, the United States, are actively engaged in this as well because we want to make sure that we bring home those Americans who have been taken hostage as well as all of the other hostages. Mr. Sullivan said he will be meeting with the families of the American hostages this week. Also this week, President Biden's top Mideast advisor, Brett McGurk, is heading to Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar with other stops possible. He's part of a small circle involved in the delegate talks. Part of the complications is that Hamas has so far not presented a list of hostages it holds or would be able to free as part of a deal. Other terror groups like Islamic Jihad also took hostages, including children. For the third time in less than three weeks, the U.S. has retaliated against the militants for what's been a growing number of attacks on bases housing U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. Pentagon officials say U.S. military conducted airstrikes on two locations in eastern Syria involving Iranian-backed groups. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the strikes targeted sites used by Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps as well as militias backed by Iran. These strikes are intended to disrupt and degrade the freedom of action and capabilities of these groups, which are directly responsible for attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. The militant groups have carried out nearly 50 attacks since October 17th on bases housing U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria, and a number of groups have vowed retaliation against the U.S. for backing Israel in the war against Hamas. Separately, five U.S. service members were killed when a military helicopter crashed over the eastern Mediterranean Sea during a training mission on Saturday. The Biden administration faces pressure from progressive Democrats, Arab officials, and even some U.S. diplomats to help end the Israel-Hamas war. But the White House doesn't necessarily want to stop the fight. It's a story by Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent at Politico. Nahal, explain. The U.S. has influence. It's just people kind of assume that it's trying to use its influence to stop the war, but it's not. It's just trying to use the influence to mitigate the worst effects of it on on civilians. Uh, but the objective is the same as Israel's, which is to eliminate Hamas. Interesting. All right. So but necessarily we haven't come out and said that. Well, the U.S. has said that 
Israel should destroy Hamas, but it's only like in kind of here and there language. Um, mostly what they've been saying when people ask them about their influences, uh, when people, for instance, ask why they won't support a ceasefire, the U.S. will say Israel has the right to defend itself. That's the language that they have been primarily using. Instead of saying, we agree that the goal should be to eliminate Hamas. And I think part of the problem is that when you say that, it's very ill-defined, right? So the U.S. doesn't want to really get in, dragged into the debate of what does it mean to eliminate this militant group, which also is sort of a social movement and an ideology, right? So instead, it's been sticking with Israel has a right to defend itself, and that has been really frustrating to people. But then when you put it in this perspective of, look, the U.S. agrees with this objective, even if it's ill-defined, then a lot of other stuff makes sense. We're speaking with Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent at Politico. Her story is called Why the U.S. Isn't Stopping This War and Other Middle East Realities. And you said, too, uh, Israel will probably ignore the U.S. anyway. Yeah, I mean, that is actually part of it. Look, the U.S. does have a lot of influence over Israel, but it chooses not to use most of that influence, right? We give Israel $3.8 billion a year worth of military aid. We defend them at the United Nations. Uh, we work with them uh, on, on a range of other issues in the Middle East, but we also really rely on them heavily on things like intelligence, security, things like that. We have a very, very close partnership with them. Um, but we do have influence. We could walk away from these things, but primarily what the U.S. has done for a long time is just trying to convince Israel to do things, talking to them, persuading them. Sometimes that works. Often it doesn't. We have for years urged Israelis to stop building settlements in the West Bank. They just ignore us. Uh, and so this is one of those things where the Israelis in particular, after what happened to them on October 7th, this atrocious attack, this, they, they just feel like they are in an existential situation and they absolutely have to eliminate Hamas. This is something that has widespread support within the Israeli public. And so Israeli politicians don't really care what the U.S. says and probably wouldn't really care if the U.S. backed off on anything else, such as military support, etc., uh, because they have their own public to deal with and they face what they really believe is a dangerous threat right next door, and they cannot tolerate it anymore. Oh. So yeah, we've, our influence is there, but it's limited. We choose to use it in a limited way, and at the end of the day, Israel often ignores us. What was the point you made, too, about uh, several Arab governments privately hate Hamas? Yeah, and I think this is one of the things a lot of people don't realize is, in public, these Arab governments have been out there saying, you have to have a ceasefire. You have to end this war. There's too many people dying. Uh, they're incredibly worried. I, I do believe many of them are worried about the death toll. And also Arab publics are very pro-Palestinian. So there's a lot of pressure on these governments uh, to stop the, the killing of Palestinians, etc. But as, as a, when it comes to Hamas, the Arab governments uh, view them as in many ways a threat. Uh, this is an Islamist group. Um, they, it's, it's, you know, worked in hand in hand with things like the Muslim Brotherhood, et cetera. Iran is a major proxy, uh, of Hamas. Uh, forgive me, the opposite. Hamas is a major proxy of Iran. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Iran is an enemy, um, of some of these Arab countries, or that's how they see it. So they don't like Hamas. So they're kind of stuck in this weird situation where secretly, privately, they tell the Israelis, look, we don't like Hamas. We would love it if you could somehow get rid of them. That's fine. But you're just... You're just killing too many people. It's gotten too far. This is too much. We can't tolerate this. Okay. Uh, so they're kind of in this weird, you know, by, uh, bifurca bifurcated situation. Thanks, Nahal. Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent at Politico. 
Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your personal HelloFresh holiday helper. Seriously, make your holiday festivities stand out with HelloFresh with over 45 scrumptious recipes that will impress at your party. This season, indulge in the joy of cooking made simple. HelloFresh delivers right to your door so it's convenient and saves time. And with the very specific step-by-step instructions from HelloFresh, it's easy for someone with zero kitchen skills like me to follow along. Make it the tastiest holiday season yet with HelloFresh. HelloFresh lets me ditch the store run. No stressing about running back and forth or worrying about forgetting something. Their farm-fresh and pre-portioned ingredients make cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free and use code Gordon Free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free with the code Gordon Free. Unleash the tasty seasonal flavors from America's number one meal kit. Order HelloFresh today at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free. Thanks for spending time with us. Drivers in the Los Angeles area can expect traffic misery today as crews assess how much damage was caused by a raging fire that closed part of Interstate 10 near downtown. Hazardous materials teams were cleaning burned material from underneath the elevated highway between Alameda Street and Santa Fe Avenue. Governor Gavin Newsom says they're making way for engineers to check the columns and deck of the highway. 300 plus thousand vehicles go through this corridor every single day. It's of significant consequence to the economy, to the health and safety of Angelinos. Commuters were urged to work from home or take public transportation. The cause of the early Saturday morning fire was under investigation. The flames tore through two storage lots in an industrial area underneath the highway, burning piles of wooden pallets, parked cars, and support poles for high-tension power lines. It covered about eight acres. 20 minutes after the hour on This Morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Israel says it's pressuring Hamas to surrender its position inside Gaza's largest hospital as it engages in intense fighting with militants in the area. Israel alleges Hamas hides underground complexes and a key command center at the hospital in northern Gaza, a claim Hamas denies. A second day of intense fighting on Sunday left thousands of displaced people stuck inside the sprawling complex with dwindling medical supplies, water and food. Meanwhile, more than 180,000 people across France, including 100,000 in Paris, marched peacefully on Sunday to protest against rising anti-Semitism. Number two. House Speaker Mike Johnson has unveiled a two-step short-term spending proposal that would keep money flowing to federal agencies into early next year in a bid to stave off a partial government shutdown late next week. Johnson presented the plan on Saturday, a week before federal agencies risk shutting down once current funding runs out. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut told NBC a shutdown is not acceptable. It does worry me that the House process um, requires you to come back and deal with half the budget on one date and half the budget on another date. That sounds to me a little bit of a recipe for failure, but I'm willing to listen to the case that they're making. Johnson's measure would impose would not impose spending cuts, and it also wouldn't implement tougher anti-immigration rules at the U.S.-Mexico border, which some Republicans had said was critical to get their support. Number three. It's over for Republican Senator Tim Scott, who told Fox he's withdrawing from the presidential race. I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters, uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet, have been really clear that they're telling me, not now, Tim. The 58-year-old senator, who had been the only remaining black candidate in the GOP 
primary race said he would not endorse another candidate. Snap, hold from Bajorquez, kick is on the way, and it is good! That's your ball game! Browns win it on a walk-off in Baltimore! 33 to 31, the final score. Mike Morgan with the call on Compass Media Network says the Browns became one of five teams to win a game on a field goal in regulation, the most in one day in NFL history. The Cardinals, Seahawks, Texans, and Lions also won as time expired. It's emblematic of what's been a dramatic season. Nearly 70% of all games have been within one score in the fourth quarter. Yeah, those early games yesterday, we couldn't keep track of who was doing what late in the game. Thank you, Jen. Did you know traditional bed sheets harbor as much bacteria as a toilet seat? The germs in your sheets can cause acne, allergies, stuffy noses, and other gross ailments. Fears, though, that you can put to bed with Miracle Made bed sheets. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics inspired by NASA that are thermoregulating to keep you at a perfect temperature all night. Miracle Made is self cleaning, self cooling, luxurious, eco friendly bedding designed to protect your skin for more restorative rest. My wife and I love them. Now, my listeners can have a clean night's sleep while saving over 40% and sleep cool all summer and warm all winter. The website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. Claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% at checkout. Miracle-made products are backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, the website, trymiracle.com slash Gordon. trymiracle.com slash Gordon to save big. You can sleep cool, comfy, and clean. Miracle-made bedding, NASA-inspired for out-of-this-world comfort. Sleep clean with Miracle. Thanks for joining us from titans of finance to mom-and-pop investors. It's easy to see why more people have been drawn to cash as interest rates have climbed and remain high. While these rate chasers might not like, though, is the coming tax bill. Here's Andrew Keshner, tax guy at MarketWatch. Andy, what's ahead? Yeah, so what we've seen in the past year plus is um, interest rates that have been rising, which have made things like CDs and... Um, and these high yield savings accounts and money market funds, all the things very, very attractive as investments. But the problem is, is the money that comes from them as investments, um, it doesn't get that usual investment treatment in the, in, the, in the eyes of the IRS. In other words, they are taxed as it's ordinary income to you. The interest you get is ordinary income. It's not that lower uh, capital gains rate tax. Ooh. And so that's where the tax bite is going to come in after the fact. Some people are starting to say. Wow. All right. So, I mean, the, the 5% is, is, for lack of a better phrase, let's go like a fairly new phenomenon here. Do banks actually say, hey, heads up, like pay attention to this, be ready, brace yourself? Well, you know, I, I talked to um, one, one expert um, over at U.S. Bank. Um, and he's saying that, yeah, this is something that they're starting to give the heads up, that they are giving the heads up on. And I, I've talked to people in accounting firms and, you know, and over at um, Vanguard and, and, and education on this is always, I, I mean, investor education on the tax implications of where they put their money. That's kind of like a, a tale as old as time. But, um, uh, but you know, this new emphasis and focus on on what this interest income means that's 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 kind of that's the new theme um for for this year and, and the thing is is you know interest rates were rising last year too so this was starting to emerge as something last year but you know now we have you know we've accumulated you know a, a full year of these rising rates and more people piling in piling in more money 
Um, if, for example, when I talked to the U.S. bank expert, they were saying the average amount was $50,000 in a CD. Um, so that's that's not chump change. Wow. And, and our interest in this, so to speak, has really grown. A hundred percent. You 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 see it surveys. You see it in um, in in IRS statistics. Uh, for example, from the American Association of Individual Investors, they do this monthly ask of the, of members saying, "Where's your money? Like, how's your portfolio like carved up?" Um, and bonds are you know in October, bonds and cash investments both increased uh, month over month. Um, and bonds are up to nearly 16%, um, comprising 16% of a portfolio up from, you know, uh, nearly 14% a year ago. And cash is down, but but still, you know, still on the high side. Thanks, Andy. Andrew Keshner, tax guy at MarketWatch. 30 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Behind the headlines, above the noise, you're listening to America's First News. This Morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. Welcome into Monday, November 13. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka, some of our top stories and headlines. U.S. conducts airstrikes again on Syrian targets. Washington says it's actively engaged in talks to release hostages held by Hamas. South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott drops out of the presidential race. A massive fire under a portion of Interstate 10 in Los Angeles. Las Vegas police investigating the death of a high school student beaten by a mob. Raiders over the Jets in Sunday night football. Broncos and Bills play in Buffalo tonight. And the veteran who helped take down a carjacking suspect in Florida. That story in about 20 minutes. Boomers have seen their financial well-being grow over the past year. Millennials' financial well-being plummeted, and they're worried they won't get what they want in life. Juliana Kaplan, senior reporter at Insider, has a look at new data from Morning Consult, which shows yet again how millennials face an uphill economic battle that boomers don't. Juliana, main takeaways. It's a terrible time to be a millennial. Know that baby boomers are doing really well financially. Their financial well-being is up. The market is working in their favor. And it's not so much the case for millennials. All right. So, But if the market's working for boomers, surely it's working for millennials. What do you mean by that? Well, just because of the stages of life that both generations are in and sort of their unique experiences. So... Boomers, for instance, might not have to worry about like mounting retirement costs or saving for retirement. They're already in retirement. They might already all out own their homes, so they're not worried about mortgages and interest rates. And those homes are getting more and more valuable. So their net worths, their assets are worth more, their investments are worth more. And millennials are not really in the same boat. You know, we have, for instance, student loan repayment starting up again, which is weighing on a lot of millennials. They might have also just purchased their first homes at a not amazing interest rate. And they're also in a stage of life where they're making life transitions. Maybe they're becoming parents for the first time. And that is a cost that is going up, up, up. Yeah. What do they say, generally speaking? What do millennials tell these, these surveys like this? Yeah, so... Millennials, I believe, at least in this survey, almost half of the millennials who were surveyed for it said that they feel they'll never have the things they want in life, which is a 4% increase from last year and far higher than across all adults that were surveyed. 
And then over half of millennials said that they were concerned that the money they have or plan to save won't last. And that's another increase as well and higher than all other adults. Boy, we're speaking with Juliana Kaplan, senior labor and inequality reporter at Insider. Her story is called It's a Terrible Time to Be a Millennial. And she looked at this study that compared the finances of millennials and boomers. Uh, Any good news for millennials here? Yeah, so they're not completely, you know, (laughs) I don't know. They're not completely. Completely in dire straits, I suppose. Their median net worth came in at $135,300 in 2022, which is up about $30,000 from 2019. So median net worth is looking good. And some of that debt and the things that they're dealing with might be because of positive life transitions. You know, if you just bought a house, obviously maybe you're not feeling the most financially stable, but you have a house and maybe you just had a kid, which is an exciting thing, but you're dealing with new costs and expenses as well. Yeah. What did the pandemic do to each of these groups, the boomers and the millennials? Yeah. So for boomers, you know, the the pandemic had a lot of interesting impacts because I think what's important to remember too is for millennials, this is another recession that came in still like fairly to like mid career stage. And obviously the 2008 recession was really devastating for millennials and already put them on not the firmest footing financially. So this was another knock towards them. And meanwhile, boomers, we saw a lot of people decide to just retire early and boomers were already more likely to own property, maybe not have to deal with some of the other challenges that came up during the pandemic, like wrangling childcare or losing their jobs, younger workers were more likely to lose their jobs. So for them, that wasn't a time to sort of grow their nest eggs. Obviously not for everybody, but for at least a certain subset of boomers. And at the same time, get the same cash assistance that the government was giving out to everybody that they didn't have to maybe spend in the same way as millennials who had lost their jobs and maybe didn't already have that amount of savings like accrued. Meanwhile, here are us Gen Xers in the back of the room saying, what about us? We got to take care of our parents and our children at the same time in this little sandwich generation we got. Yeah, the poor Gen Xers. You (laughs) You don't mean that. No, no. And Gen X, I think, is an interesting one because they sort of fall in the middle. So they also are not doing the most amazing when it comes to financial well-being, but they have been doing a little bit better. Thanks, Juliana. Juliana Kaplan, senior reporter at Insider. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hey, glad you're with us. Welcome into Monday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, you know, every dad at some point wants to be the cool dad, showing off your kids when the moment presents itself. In Australia, that apparently means bringing home a snake for the kids to see. But as you can imagine, that can go horribly wrong. An Australian hiker spotted what he thought was a diamond python, a non-venomous species that lives on Australia's east coast, and decided to bring it home to show the kiddos. Things took a turn for the worse after the python bit the man on the hand. However, as he assumed the animal was non-venomous, he initially didn't think anything of it until later when his health took a turn for the worse. His hand started to swell up and he started to vomit for three straight hours, prompting a visit to the emergency room. Turns out it was a broad-headed snake, a venomous snake 
snake which closely resembles the diamond python. Thankfully, the hiker's stay in the hospital was short, and he's since made a full recovery. He hopes his story of misnaken identity can serve as a cautionary tale to other outdoorsmen. Okay. <laughs> You're in yeah. Australia. Right. You need to know snakes better than this. I would think so. Right? right? Yeah. I don't know if they teach that in school, but they sure should, right? Wow. And, oh, you know, man. Especially, especially when there's, you know, I guess maybe he didn't know, but especially when there's other snakes out there, there's a poisonous snake that looks oh. just like this non-poisonous snake, mm. and you just, like, you pick it up and you throw it in your car and bring it home. I just feel like, <laughs> as, as somebody who's never been, I just feel like you need to pass some sort of intelligence test yeah. to go on a hike in Australia. Right. Or there should just be signs everywhere, like literally yeah. up and down the trail with, yeah. here are all the venomous snakes, right. and, you know, stay away. Or just stay away from all the snakes. Yeah. That's what I would Probably do. a better move. I mean, but, I mean, this had gone this possibly had could have gone really south oh what I if mean, it had bitten one of the kids that's what i yeah. and like how's dad feeling now yeah uh, i mean i mean, it, it, I mean it, it, you know in hindsight it probably went as well as it could have went right I right mean, you know because if it bite, bites him he's bigger he's yeah. able to fight it off yeah. fight off the toxins oh, and, and he made a full recovery but yeah. uh, the kids would have been so lucky what do you think his reaction was at first <laughs> look at that silly snake yeah right yeah. Then all of a sudden oh. Throwing yeah. up for three hours <laughs> and off to the hospital. Not oh, jeez. And the roller coaster ride for the Minnesota Vikings and their new quarterback continues along with a never ending flow of funny moments. The Vikings won again on Sunday, their fifth straight win after a 1 and 4 start to the season. And it was the first ever start for Josh Dobbs, the twice traded quarterback who was pressed into service last Sunday after just arriving to Minneapolis and not knowing the playbook or his teammates' names yet. And a week later, it seems that Dobbs is still literally finding his way around. On his way into US Bank Stadium yesterday, cameras picked up on Dobbs stopping to ask a security guard where the Vikings locker room was before suiting up for a game against the Saints. Social media users love the ongoing Dobbs saga and had lots of jokes. One ex-user joked that Dobbs hadn't gotten an orientation packet, a map of the stadium, or anything else from his new team yet. Another user couldn't wait for the first time Dobbs meets Vikings injured receiver Justin Jefferson, learning his name and then tossing him a 62-yard touchdown pass just seconds later. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. It's yeah. down the hallway to the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock yeah. on the door, announce yourself, maybe right. show a credential or something. I was going to say, make sure you show your ID because we yeah. haven't heard about that where guys who were on the team for like a year have yeah. to still show their ID at the, at the door. Right. I, and it looked like, didn't it look like to you he was carrying a playbook? Uh, oh, yeah. He was carrying something that looked, resembles the I mean, he's had I that thing attached to his hip probably since, yeah, since last probably. weekend. It's a good story developing there. Thank you, Mike. Dell's Black Friday event is their biggest sale of the year. Shop limited time deals on laptops like the stylish, innovative XPS 13, engineered to do it all on the Intel Evo platform. Plus, save big on ultra-sharp monitors and top brand accessories. Shop now at dell.com slash deals to take advantage of huge savings and free shipping. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. Thanks for spending time with us. As millions of people prepare to travel this fall and winter to see friends and family for the holidays, there are definite do's and don'ts when it comes to flying to chosen destinations. Fox News has tips for better air travel from flight attendants. Number one, they say pick your seat ahead of time. This way you won't have to inconvenience other passengers by asking them to switch seats with you. Number two, pack efficiently by making a list ahead of time of what you'll need and always bring a change of clothes in your carry-on in case of unexpected delays or lost luggage. Number three, take an empty portable water bottle with you. Most airports have water stations in the concourse. This way, you can avoid paying six bucks for a bottle of water once past security. Number four, scan the security line. 
Get in the one where people are carrying laptops, even if it's longer. They'll be faster than the line with families. Number five, remember your earbuds or earplugs if they'll help you sleep. And number six, make eye contact, they say, with flight attendants and say hello. Courteous passengers generally get better service when needed. Eight minutes in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. White House officials say talks to secure the release of hostages held by Hamas are at a delicate stage as fighting continues around hospitals in the Gaza Strip. Israeli officials say some of the captives could be held under the facility. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on ABC. We do not know the precise number of hostages. We know the number of missing, and that's the number the Israelis have given. But we don't know how many of those are still alive. As far as the Americans are concerned, there are nine missing American citizens, as well as a a missing legal permanent representative, a green card holder. Sullivan says the U.S. has talked with the Israel Defense Forces about avoiding more casualties around the medical facility. Number two. The U.S. conducted another round of strikes against targets in Syria on Sunday, the third time in recent weeks in response to the growing number of attacks against U.S. forces there and in Iraq. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. These attacks must stop. Uh, And if they don't stop, then... We won't hesitate to do what's necessary, again, to to protect our troops. The Pentagon says the facilities were used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and other Iran-affiliated groups. Number three. Four people were left dead, including a responding SWAT officer who was killed in a shootout with a suspect during a hostage standoff in Austin on Saturday. Interim Austin Police Chief Robin Henderson says officers responded to a 911 call at a home shortly before 3 a.m. As SWAT officers entered... The suspect immediately fired his gun at the officers, and the officers, the SWAT officers, returned fire. Two people were found dead in the home. One officer was killed, as was the suspect. Los Angeles motorists should expect traffic snarls indefinitely as crews assess how much damage was caused by a raging fire that closed a major elevated interstate near downtown. Hazardous materials teams are clearing burned material from underneath Interstate 10 to make way for engineers to make sure the columns and deck of the highway can support the 300,000 vehicles that travel the route daily. Commuters were urged to work from home or take public transportation into downtown L.A. today. Congratulations to baseball cards, Nerf toys, Cabbage Patch Kids and the Fisher Price Corn Popper are all entering the National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester. One classic toy that didn't make the cut this time, Barbie's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Ken. And the pogo stick. (laughs) How does the pogo stick get left off? You're outraged. (laughs) For decades, a staple. Thanks, Jen. Army veteran Shane Spicer had just started his day waiting for coffee at a Florida Starbucks while police were after a career criminal who tried to carjack a pregnant woman. The suspect was wanted for allegedly breaking into someone's home and stealing their car before crashing. Police dash cam footage shows Mr. Spicer jumping out of the passenger seat of the car behind the woman's vehicle and hopping into her passenger passenger seat trying to stop the suspect. Body cam video shows Mr. Spicer actually holding on to the suspect, who reportedly has 13 felony convictions dating back to 2000, while officers close in. The Daily Mail says the suspect was charged with fleeing and eluding, attempted carjacking, and a crash involving injuries as well as resisting arrest by the Ocala Police Department. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.